0: Hello and welcome. It is Your Money. I'm Susie Jones, reminding you right out of the gates, if you have a financial question... For today's guests, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is 1-8886-ADVICE. You can also email your questions to yourmoney@wealthenhancement.com. You can also text our studio line or call 651-461-9226. Now, here's the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor Bruce Helmer and senior vice president and financial advisor Peg Webb. Webb, welcome both of you. Good morning, everyone. Hello. Good morning.
1: Hi. Hi, Susie. Hi, Peg. Always good to be with you. And Susie, good to have you back. Your voice is always cheerful and uh, brings a smile to my face when so oh. I hear your voice.
0: Thank you. I was on on vacation and I was unplugged, so it's I'm g- getting reacclimated to life, regular <laughs> life.
1: Well, <laughs> well I. It's well-deserved, and I hope you uh, I hope you relaxed and had a nice time and came back refreshed and ready to go. Peg, are you ready to go? Are you refreshed and ready to go today? I, I'm more than refreshed, Bruce, more <laughs> than refreshed. So, Susie and uh, listeners, Peg and I today thought we would talk about inflation. We kind of have mentioned it a little bit every week for the last several weeks. Um, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's aware of it when you go to the grocery store. When you go to the gas station, you're paying more for gas, you're paying more for groceries. And we thought we would dig a little deeper, Peg, and kind of define inflation. I think everybody thinks they know what it is, but I'm not sure if they truly, fully understand it. So we'll talk about what it is, and then we'll talk about what it means in terms of your investments, in terms of your financial planning, what you, what we can do about it, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. Hopefully by the end of this hour, everybody will... Uh, Uh, I hope, be less nervous or less concerned about inflation because, you know, Peg, it's one of those things, and Susie, we always talk about don't worry about things you can't control because you can't control them. Inflation is one of those things we can't control, but there are many things that we can control that can help offset the effects of inflation. So, Peg, you want to get us rolling and talk about what it actually is?
2: Yeah, it's kind of interesting, Bruce and Susie, that we, on the show, I would say for, you know, the decades it's been on, we've rarely had to really talk about inflation to the degree that we're, we have it in the news today. And so I, I think it is a good idea just to define what it is. And, and you kind of hit it already, Bruce, in that things are costing more. So when we're out and about and we're looking at these prices, We're saying, wait a minute, you know, uh, yesterday I was at the grocery store and I love this time of year because the fruit is out, the peaches and the grapes and the banana, you know, banana. I mean, everything is just so fresh. Well, I don't necessarily always pay attention to the prices, but it really caught my eye yesterday when I saw the prices of these grapes and and so produce, uh, food That's, I think, what people are looking at right now. And so the goods and services are definitely rising. Now, um, in a healthy economy, you know, uh, the the companies can actually charge more, right? If people seem to have cash in there and they've got some extra money, um, corporations like to raise rates. So you can see now that we are paying for things um, higher than we have for a long time. But if things continue to cost more when it comes to inflation, uh, that starts to really hurt the consumer and our clients. So I like, you know, the fact that we're going to talk head on today about inflation, because I don't think we've done a show, Bruce, where we really said, okay, let's focus on inflation. And then how does that really affect your portfolio? So to me, It it is a big deal because we talk a little bit about purchasing power. And, you know, I'm a bond person. So fixed income has always been my gig. I started out in the 80s as a municipal bond trader. What that means is I sat on this big desk and would purchase these municipal bonds nationally for the company, a brokerage firm. And then we would distribute those bonds out to the financial advisors like you and I, Bruce. And then they would, in turn, sell those to their clients and put them in the portfolios. Well, back in the early 80s, that's the last I remember of my career, the interest rates on these municipal bonds were 18%. And clients were hesitant to buy them because they were waiting for 20%. Um, and so that's, that was so impactful at a young age, starting out in the business. But then for the next decades of time, I personally haven't worried about this inflation and interest rates because, you know, bond yields has, have really lately been, been hovering around zero, and we haven't talked about the inflation um, rate, but now I, I think it's important because there's this definition of real rate of return. So we all understand that on the surface, that if a bond is paying 2%, I'm getting that 2%. Or if the stock market last year did 20 plus percent, you know, in, um, in appreciation and return, we think of it as 20%, but what real rate of return does is it takes that annual percentage of profit, 2% on bonds and 20 plus percent on stocks, and, and that's what you earned on your investment, but then it, this, this real rate of return adjusts it for inflation. So that kind of adjustment, what it does is it takes what you earned minus the inflation rate. So that truly then indicates the actual purchasing power that you have on your money at that point in time. So I think, Bruce, it's good to just kind of educate people about what do we mean about this inflation when it comes to our job. And we're also looking at real rates of return. Now, this is coming up because Treasuries, a two-year note, Late last year was 0.70 percent, two-year Treasury. Now they're close to three percent, and they've hit over three percent. But then they back down a little bit. Well, that's huge. But when the Treasury was at 0.7, inflation was basically not there. Now, when we take this 3% and we take this 9.1% that was just announced a couple days ago on inflation, you're actually negative 6%. That's the calculation of what is your real purchasing power on that rate of return. Bruce?
1: Well, uh, several thoughts. That was all really good, informative stuff, Peg, but... um back to like the definition or what inflation means. When when I do public speaking events and I talk about inflation, I give some real life examples that I'm dating and aging, you know, showing my age here. But, um, you know, I, I, I will often ask the audience if they remember what they paid for the first house they bought. And I give them a chance to think about it or, you know, search their memory. And I, then when I can tell they've They've either remembered or they're not going to remember, then I will say, raise your hand if you paid more for the most recent car you bought. And invariably, multiple hands will go up. And I will say that's an example of inflation. Your last car costs more than your first house. But also, I remember, and this is where I really show my age, I remember as a kid, I grew up in Olivia, Minnesota, Peg, um, and I remember. Vividly, riding my bike to Tabor's Texaco, filling my gallon can of gas to mow the lawn, and I could get a gallon of gas for a quarter. And today it's what four sixty or four seventy or something like that. I could go to Litsky's Bakery and get four loaves of bread for less than a dollar. I'd have a dollar bill and get my bread and have a few cents left over to get some uh, penny candy at the candy counter. So these are examples of inflation and we know it's there and we again it's one of those things we don't worry about because we can't control but we account for it when you talk about purchasing power it's one of the reasons why when people say they 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 want to get safe they want to avoid risk and they want to put all of their money or most of their money in cash well when they talk about safety or reducing risk They're talking about risk of principle. But as financial advisors, when we think of risk, one of the other risks that we think of is the risk that you're going to run out of money before you die. Because if your rate of return on your money is so low and and it's losing purchasing power over time and to live the same way now, 10 years from now, costs more We have to factor that in and make sure that you're not going to run out of money. So this is why inflation matters. This is what it is, the increasing uh, cost of living, cost of goods and services to, to live the lifestyle we want over time tends to cost more. And people have kind of, I think, forgotten about it, to your point uh, on the lead-in. We haven't talked about it in a lot of detail over the years because we've been absent inflation until very, very recently. And I love your example about what bond prices used to be. Peg, do you remember the interest rate uh, on your first house? I got 9% and thought I died and went to heaven. I thought that was a Yeah, mine mine was 9.5. Yeah, (laughs) 9.5 was, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm.
2: But now, so what I thought we would do, Bruce, is just uh, specifically talk about how inflation affects stocks and then what in the world is the Fed doing to help us, right? So when we think about stocks, and I already mentioned bonds about the real rate of return, but but people tend to, to look now at the stock market and say, oh my, you know, I mean, it's 21% down the first half of the year. And headlines, right? The steepest first half loss in more than five decades. Um, This has to do with inflation. And so when it comes to stocks, companies have to pay higher prices for their capital, their raw materials, their labor. This is a big issue right now, you know, to have unemployment at 2%. And we're going through this period of time. But they're trying to pass on these inc- uh, increased costs to s- consumers, and in my um, estimation, they haven't increased as much as they're going to. They're trying to take baby steps, but I think they're going to. I think they're going to charge more. Uh, if you don't have purchasing power, then profits are reduced, right? You. Um, in, in another one is if interest rates rise these companies are borrowing money. You know, a lot of the growth companies for sure are borrowing money on short-term interest rates. And immediately, as soon as they went up, that reduces their profits. So, you know, between the stocks, um, the stock prices being hammered by these rising interest rates, you know, we still have this war in Ukraine. We've got um, supply chain issues still. And I would say consumer spending is still driving prices up. I mean, people have not slowed down to the point where the Fed would love us to. But, hey, listen, Fed, we just got out of COVID. And, you know, many of us who have money in the bank because of COVID, because we didn't do anything for a couple of years, we really want to get out and about. So, you know, now um, the Fed has a huge job on their hands and we're witnessing some of the things that they've been doing. For instance raising interest rates. And so, Bruce, do you actually think that this raising interest rates is going to be the be-all, end-all?
1: No. And, and, and you know, it's we're getting now into the depths of um, financial technicality that very, very, very smart people don't always agree on what the right thing to do is. It's definitely not an exact science. I think the Fed's role is and always has been to do what they can, but no one body or no one, um, you know, federal agency can control this. It's 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 multifactorial and it's complicated. I think the raising of interest rates helps, but when you look at it globally, to a large degree, it's always going to come down to supply and demand. And like you just said, Peg, due to pent up wanting to get out and do stuff. The demand is high. I, I've talked about it on the show before, and I experienced it again this week I, on a Tuesday night, which I would think would be a quiet night. The restaurant we chose t- to go to, packed, packed, wait, waiting mm-hmm. for an hour to get to get a table. People are out and about, and they're spending money. Um, and and there's and then a lot of the things that we want, there's not enough supply. You mentioned the war in Ukraine. I don't remember the exact stat, but I want to say that Ukraine was responsible for something like 13% of the world's food. Well, you take away 13% from global production, and the prices are going to go up. There's not there's not enough food, and all the all the countries that rely on Russian oil, that war is having a huge impact on supply and demand, and thus the global market. So I think the Fed has some power to do some things, but I don't think just the Fed raising interest rates alone is going to be what ultimately you know cures this inflation issue. But I also think you know it's funny, um, and I know I'm rambling a little bit. But in recent years, you know, when we do these forecasts and we put in an inflation factor and we, you know, put in three or three and a half percent or whatever we put in, on occasion I've had clients say to me, Inflation's not that high, why are you using three percent? And the answer is financial projections by def you know, really have to be linear, but life is not. So rates of return on any given year we know are going to vary dramatically from the assumption. Inflation rates are going to vary. So for all those years it was less than 3. We've now sort of built in room for a big year where inflation runs at 8 or 9%. And the plan or the projection can absorb that because what, what, what will happen over time is you will resort to the mean or come back to the long-term average, and the long-term projection will actually be very accurate.
2: Yeah, and I feel that um, that is all well said, Bruce, because we can't every single year change our financial plan to exactly what's happening. Otherwise, it's not a forecast, right? That's just a, a short period of time. Um, but should investors fear the market more than inflation? I would say, you know, we've c- gotten complacent to this inflation word again and you know inflation is real and and i would say more so our retirees notice inflation over the last decade more so than the younger uh, people that we work with and that's because of healthcare costs you know that we know has gone up so dramatically and then some of the younger people that we work with you know college costs have gone up so dramatically but our retirees, and I'm talking about like late 50-year-olds now. Sometimes, Bruce, I think the audience might be confused when I say retirees. They might say, oh, they're 65, 75. Oh, no. There's a lot of 50-somethings retiring uh, right now. And they also are want to change their life, meaning they have this still big house in the suburbs. You know, they want to sell it. They either want to go buy an RV, they want to leave the state that they live in. We're dealing with all sorts of planning, um, and I wouldn't call them issues, but just changes in people's lives. And then now the market's down. I have to tell you, though, you know, since the market was up so dramatically for the last years, I mean, we had 13 years of kind of a straight trajectory, although we had a couple of mishaps, right? Um, um, A really big one, COVID, but the the market just recovered so quickly that um, even though we have this down market and it sounds really dramatic, you know, if you've been invested for quite some time, you've been rewarded. So um, I don't see clients being, uh, you know, overly concerned, but yet if this would prolong, uh, they have some concern the longer that it that it's lasting? Bruce?
1: Well, a couple things, and and I don't know if we're we're, we're already running out of time. Time goes so fast, but I was going to say, Peg, maybe after the break, we, we, we can devote more time to this. We've talked about what it is, why it happens, how it's impacting people, but we haven't really talked about What can people? What can listeners do about it? How do how do we inflation proof ourselves if there is such a thing, or maybe there isn't such a thing? Um, But we can go into more detail about about that um, after the break. But I, you know, the other thing, again with inflation and not having had to to face it and deal with it for such a, a long period of time, I think there, you know, again there is an overreaction to it. I mean, yes, we have to be aware of it and it has to be part of our planning to know that these things can happen. I always say a financial plan is easy if you always have the best of circumstances, but a good plan is adaptable and will work under the worst of circumstances. And it, this has been a bad year so far. I mean and and you made reference to it. Not only are stocks down, but most of the time, not all the time, most of the time Stocks and bonds have a converse relationship. So if stocks do poorly, then bonds would do well. Well, this year, bonds and stocks both did poorly at the same time. The cost of, of things is going up with inflation. So people are are earning less on their investments or, or going backwards, retracting on their investments while their costs are going up. So I understand the trepidation out there and, and, and the nervousness. So, um, again, maybe... Uh, um, you know, we we can go into more detail when we come back, but um, I think people are looking for some ideas or suggestions what to do about it, not just this bad news from us, which they already do.
2: Yeah, and we have a lot of suggestions. That's the last part of our outline here. And I think you can make an inflation-proof portfolio, and we'll get to that in the second half.
1: Um, also, Susie and listeners, in addition to any questions that you might have, I'd be curious to hear people's own experiences at the gas pump or at the grocery store. Has inflation changed your choices? Have you hunkered down? Did you skip a vacation or is it changing your life because of the cost of living or because you're coming out of uh, the the COVID Shut down? Are you doing more of the things that you had to postpone? Is it impacting you? Is it not impacting you? We'd also take your comments on that in addition, Susie, to financial questions. All right, very good.
0: Again, if you are listening and you have a question or a comment for Bruce or Peg, you can call this number 651 461 9226. 651 461 9226. We can get to your questions and texts right after this. It is your money. And if you have a question for Bruce or Peg, you can call 651 461 right now and we'll get your question to the experts. And if you're listening and you want to call back at a different time, 1866, no, advice or email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. Welcome back, both of you, for the last little bit here.
1: Thank you, Susie Jones. Peg, uh, the first half of the show, we, we went took a deep dive into inflation, what it is, why it's happening, how it's impacting people. We tell them, don't worry about it, don't worry about things you can't control. But they're sitting there going, giving us, you've done nothing but give us bad news. And again, if people want to chime in about personal experiences, life-changing things because of inflation, the same number that Susie gave, Six five one four six one nine two two six. if you want to get on the air and vent a little bit. But what are some things, Peg, that people can do to combat this or offset the effects of inflation?
2: Yeah, there's actually several. What's kind of interesting about this, though, is when you try to uh, maybe just combat inflation with securities or different types of investments – they in itself seem to be kind of risky, right? So so some of the things that I'm going to talk about, I feel like the people out there may may not be able to go seek to go purchase these things on their own. And that's how complex this is as far as how do you stay ahead of inflation. So, you know, so so the answer is, yes, you can, but it's a little tricky. Now, number one, believe it or not, just the stock market in general has kept up with inflation over time. And so, but that's provided that you stayed in it the whole time. So let me give you an example. If you've invested $10,000 20 years ago, but you had sat out just the 10 best days over that period of time, you would have reduced your return by more than half I mean, I just want to make that impactful statement because you cannot decide right now as it's looking rocky and saying, okay, I'm going to actually just exit the stock market for a little bit, and I'm actually going to go back in when I feel that the time is right. So history has proven that's not the right thing to do. Then secondly, other things that will help you um, with inflation is commodities. So don't everybody listening now go buy gold and silver and, you know, right now they don't seem to be in favor as much as um, they had been in the past because we're not sure if everything is going to be tied to gold in the future. Um, You know, more so people are talking about this cryptocurrency and I don't want to get into that because our company hasn't necessarily said, okay let's all jump on that bandwagon and buy crypto but more to come on that treasury inflation protection bonds we've talked a lot about those on our show we have a portfolio that we manage that includes those real estate now you might say what that's all down i mean now that interest rates are going up that's going to go out of favor but believe it or not that hard asset has um kept up with inflation and then we have this other thing called alternatives um in our portfolios. And then there's this thing called private equity. All these things that I just mentioned, other than the stock market, commodities, treasury, inflation, protection bonds, real estate, we've got alternatives to the stock market. We've got private equity. These are specialized asset classes and very hard to, to, uh, to investigate on your own. And, and also the costs are higher to buy these unique things. Uh, And so I would highly recommend that if you're going to try to hedge your portfolio, that you talk to your financial advisor um, about it. Or if you don't have one, you know, call one, because they're going to be educated on, on how to utilize these types of investments. Uh, so I don't want people to just go out and buy these things as an individual thing to buy to hedge inflation. Bruce?
1: Yeah, well, a parting thought. You know, inflation like this, Um, And market retractions, I'm never surprised when they happen. We know they're going to happen. I'm surprised that people are surprised. We know they're going to happen. We don't know exactly when. We don't know how long they will last. We don't know, um, in, in the case of a market retraction, how low it will go. But we know they're going to happen when we forecast, we build this anticipation in And so when it does happen, if you've done your planning, if you stuck to your plan, it doesn't torpedo or sabotage or sink your plan, your plan will still be successful. But if you haven't done planning, and you don't know what this is going to do to your, you know, to your plan or your desire to retire when you want to with the lifestyle you want. Again, I'm not trying to do a commercial, but I seriously suggest people get professional help and don't try to do this on their own. Okay, Susie, should we get listeners involved?
0: Absolutely. Let's start out with a caller. Mike is on our news line with a question for Bruce and Peg. Go ahead, Mike. You're on the air this morning.
1: Yeah, I'm going to turn 69 at the end of this
2: year, and I'm just wondering with COLA being someplace in the neighborhood of 8%, um, do I penalize myself by waiting till 70 to take my Social Security,
1: or do I get both the COLA and the 8% increase if I wait a year? Hey, Mike, thanks for listening, and thanks for a great question. So, Peg, Mike's using an acronym listeners might not be familiar with, COLA, the cost of living adjustment. Uh, Social Security will adjust your payment based on inflation, and, and try to adjust your Social Security payment to keep up with the with inflation. And so Mike's question, which is a great one, which again, we've talked about a lot on the show over the years, when and how do you draw your Social Security benefits? And Mike's question, he's asking for himself, but sometimes the answer can be also contingent upon your spouse. And do they... Uh, have be are they able to dr- uh, draw work benefits, and is there an age difference between you and your spouse, and what is your benefit versus your partner's benefit? So it gets really complicated. But just based on what we know uh, about Mike and his question, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, I think the question is, and, and um, how I understood the question is, you know, should I actually turn on my Social Security now at sixty nine, or should I wait till I'm seventy? And I think what Mike's talking about is this 8% that you get each year that you wait after your full retirement age. So, and then the, the last point he made was, yeah, this cost of living because there's so much inflation now, our social security recipients are getting a huge increase, which they should because the cost of goods are going up. So in Mike's case, um, I also, wonder what you have behind that. And that means how many assets do you have to live on if you don't turn on Social Security? So right now we are dealing with this in every single one of our reviews that the client is eligible for Social Security, but should we turn it on or shouldn't we? Because where would they take the income from if they don't turn on Social Security? So do we have a safe place? Or something that isn't down 11% on a bond or 21% on a stock? Or is it best to take Social Security? So um, in in Mike's case, the question that he's asking is, is he going to benefit from getting that increase like people who have already turned on their Social Security? And I believe the answer is yes. I haven't um, dove into that, Bruce, to see if, you know, did you and I, because we haven't turned ours on, although we're eligible, uh, we, are we getting those increases? And I believe we are, because I don't think they can penalize the people who haven't turned it on. Um, and what I'm seeing is when clients are coming in, giving me in, their increases on Social Security or their new numbers for their financial forecasts, they have been jumping dramatically. Bruce,
1: thank you. You thought of Peg. You thought of something I didn't actually. Um, So, so just for clarity, for again, I think Mike knows this, but other listeners may not. When you when you draw your Social Security whatever age and you've got an eight year window basically from sixty two to seventy, whenever you turn that benefit on, you're essentially locking that in for life, with the exception of you will get little adjustments based on inflation. Well, in recent years, there's been almost no inflation, so there's been almost no adjustments. But what you get automatically, if you don't take your Social Security at your full retirement age, which for most listeners is either 66 or 67, depends upon when you were born. If you were born before 1954 It's 66 is full retirement age. If you were born between 54 and 60, it's 66 years in some months. And if you were born 1960 or later, full retirement age is 67. But every year that you wait to draw your benefit from 67 to 70, it grows by 8%. You're right. That's what Mike was referring to. But I didn't differentiate between that automatic default that you get regardless of what inflation is, that 8% is automatic, but there's also going to be an inflation factor. So not knowing anything else about Mike, my first thought was to wait one more year to get that much more money seems like a logical thing to do. But Peg correctly went down the road. It depends. What other assets do you have? What monies are you going to spend if you don't turn on your social security. And are those bad dollars to spend, dollars you don't want to spend right now? Um, So it's a a function of, Mike and listeners, um, what other choices do you have? How much do you need? And Peg, I'm going to add some other variables that Mike didn't ask in his question, but that we always look at uh, with clients. So when you we we can do social security calculations and determine when the crossover point is to see if you you wait and get more money but get it for less years, or you take it sooner and get less money but get it for more years that 's simple math. We can do those calculations, but there's other variables for example let's say you're someone that it's very important to you to leave a legacy to your kids and or grandkids or other loved ones. If you die, they don't get your Social Security benefit, but they do inherit your investments. So if you want to leave more of your money, you may say, I'm going to turn on Social Security sooner, so I'm not using my own investments for lifestyle because I want to leave more to my kids. If legacy planning is a high priority, that's going to influence how and when you draw Social Security. Or, Peg, and I know you have this too, for lack of a better word, a lot of my clients want to front load their income they know they're going to spend a lot more money the first five years after they retire than they are the second five years so they might say i'm going to draw social security sooner and maybe take some money out of my investments because we're going to go check things off our bucket list and if i get less money from social security aggregately over my lifetime I don't care because in my 80s, I'm not going to do much or spend much anyway, but I want more income sooner. So there's a lot of things that we look at, um, but just, just based on what Mike told me my first, and I'm glad you corrected me and went down You know some of the specifics, but my first thought was just based on what we knew, 69 and to wait one more year to get a really big 8% plus raise, my first thought was, yeah, he should probably wait, but you're right, Peg, it is more complicated than that.
0: Susie? Uh, yeah, all right. We've got a lot of text questions, so let's get through some of them. I, this is more of a comment. Uh, Bruce and Peg, uh, my wife and I have been keeping a list of needs on our table so we can combine our shopping to one trip. We looked at Gas Buddy every time we purchase fuel to find the best place. We drive our car that gets the best gas mileage, and we have been purchasing I-bonds, so... That's one answer to your question out there about whether folks are changing their behavior with uh, inflation—the price of things going up—and I know that that is a big one. In 1989, 81, I should say. This is a texture who says we bought a house at 17 percent interest. Holy cow! Remember those days? Uh, better than paying rent over over time. We've refinanced down to about six percent. This inflation will pass in time. Okay, those are a couple of comments, and and I do want to have one um, about this. If the government, both feds and fiscal, had not put all the liquidity into the economy, where would we be? That's a question about you know when we all got we got all those checks with COVID, and did that do anything? Do you think to upset the economy?
1: Uh, Peg.
2: I think absolutely. You know, uh when you when you talk about a balance sheet, the more money that's in the system, the more that consumers are going to spend and have the confidence and once again, it's too many spenders or consumers chasing too few goods right now. So, absolutely that had to Assist in this inflation, but as Bruce and I have been talking, there's so many things that are happening at once here, uh, and and COVID is not only because of the checks that you got in the mail, but also just this pent up demand that we talked about today too, where consumers are saying, you know, with the time I have left, I'm going to enjoy because guess what, COVID just kind of impacted our psyche to say. You know what? Uh, As far as I was positive about what I saw in the future, it it may not happen. And so people, now that they have time and they've got money, they still want to go do things. And the the question is, how dramatic is the Fed going to be with this next raise? Because it's coming and possibly following, you know, more raises. And, uh, you know, they're going to work hard. To get us to change our mind about spending, Bruce.
1: Yeah, I agree with Peg, Susie, and, and Texture. I, I think it's a contributing factor, but unfortunately, these things always get turned political by both parties, and everybody does finger pointing. And it's very, you know, if it was just if that was the sole cause it would be limited to America. But this inflation thing is not just us. In fact, if right. you look around the world at what they're paying for gas, we're getting off easy. It's cheap in America compared to Europe and Asia and, you know, and the rest of the world. So this is a global phenomenon going on right now, global retraction in the markets, global inflation. So I think I think this money was a contributing factor. But again, when you look at all the economics, at the time it was done, There was partisan agreement that we can't let small businesses fail and people suffer through no fault of their own because of a global pandemic. We need to help these people out. Now, inflationary effects after the fact is probably an unintended consequence of something that was the right thing to do at the time. Now, the two political parties disagreed about how much it should be and who should get what, and that's where the finger-pointing comes in, but there was bipartisan support that this was something we needed to do. And, Peg, I'm reminded, I think you were at the same conference years ago. We got the chance to meet President Bush after he was out of office, and the question came up about Uh, government bailouts, which President Bush called um, political or or, uh, corporate welfare. And he said he abhors corporate welfare. But he said, listen, every single economic advisor I had told me this is something we had to do. This gets back to people might remember the, the, the phrase too big to fail. And former President Bush said, as much as it went against my you know, my psyche, my 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 beliefs that corporations should make it or fail on their own. When every economic advisor you have tells you you have to do something, that's a pretty easy decision to make. I followed their advice. So I think this is one of those things. There's things, economics are so complicated and at the macro level to do something that's the right thing to do and has positive effects later on can have negative unintended consequences. And I think, That is a contributing factor to our inflation now. But to politicize it and say that's the only reason, that's not true. It's way, way, way more complicated than that.
0: All right. We have another texter. Question around company pension plans and the two options I have to receive funds. I can take a lump sum or an annuity. The issue is with rising interest rates. Lump sum is decreasing. Is it still a good idea to take the lump sum or wait until interest rates fall or stabilize? Just kind of—that's a thank texture. you.
1: What a peg, peg! What a great question. Again, pension analysis and how interest rates affect the pension. This is a this is a great timely question.
2: Yeah, I think it it it, it does depend somewhat about your situation because if you take the annuity, that gives a lot of clients peace of mind. But what he's talking about here is let's just say it's a million dollars just because that's a super easy number and the lump sum would be a million. As interest rates go up, the million dollar lump sum goes down because they assume that if you took the cash that you could go get interest rates. I talked about the treasuries going from 0.70 to 3 percent, That now you can get 3 percent treasuries on your million dollars. So they have to lessen the, the amount. The, um, the annuity, sometimes if you, if, you, if you can take it now, you may see that as a base for your interest, meaning your income for the rest of your life. Um, I tend to give reasons for both to clients so that they can make an educated decision based on their entire family view of wealth
0: and what's important to them. Bruce?
1: That's a great answer. And Susie, I know we're about out of time anyway.
0: That's right. We're very close to the end of the show. And if you did not get your question answered, you can call this number anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 1-888-6-ADVICE, A-D-V-I-C-E. You can also email your questions to Bruce and Peg and all the good folks at Your Money, you can do that at yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. Peg and Bruce, I just want to tell you, I am having my second meeting with Nate at the end of the week, and we are working on a plan to transition me to, from a working girl to a girl relaxing, enjoying all of my savings. So, <laughs> I talk, love that.
1: Nate, Nate will do a great job for you, Susie. Right, you have, got a good advisor. All right. Have a good one.